Amen. That song kind of preaches my message, so we're good. We can go now. Oh, thank you guys. Thank you, Christian. Thank you, Joe, and everybody. Thank you for leading us this morning. Man, if you came in this morning and you saw um, tables, please don't be tempted to throw them over. Um, this is not that. This is not that. It's just a great opportunity for you to be a part of what's going on with the, the teenagers. I think they have, is it, um, Abby, is it a $3,000 goal that you guys have? Yeah, $3,000 goal to send a bunch of teenagers to Mexico to do the gospel, to, to live out what they've been learning and serve. Amen? So if you, if you have a chance and you'd like to, um, no pressure, literally no pressure, but there's some cool art out there. Uh, I've, there's some bedazzled bridge sunglasses. Those are like, yeah, those are pretty cool like with little stuff. Yeah, I think that's cool. You got, Terry's got her. She knows what's up. Yep. And there's all kinds of, and they all did that artwork. There's some beautiful stencil artwork and some other things that are out there. Yeah, that's cool, right? See, yep, look at that. Some proud people who already purchased it. So if you'd like to stop by there, that would be awesome. Um, good morning. I'm excited to share God's word with you this morning. I am every week. Um, I am every week. But, but this week in particular, as we make our way towards that Easter Sunday, which is always just a, a, a wonderful and amazing um, highlight celebration service, right? And this Sunday is going to be, or next Sunday is going to be no different with baptisms. And I think we have eight people being baptized, which is awesome. And, and they're, yeah. Um, and truly, if you're interested in baptism, as we've already said, let us know. It's, a, it's just a powerful declaration of what God's already done in your life. And it's pretty cool that we get to do it in our sanctuary with a bunch of people because baptism is a public thing. It's not a, it's not a secret thing. It's a very public proclamation of a decision to follow Jesus. And it comes with a, a cost, but it also comes with a great deal of, of celebration. So we're looking forward to that. But this Sunday marks um, Palm Sunday, and we've already seen it with our children. Weren't they awesome, man? I just, they, they could do no wrong. Come on. That was so good. And, and the, the declaration of, of Palm Sunday is, it's a time where we remember Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And I want to talk to you a little bit about that today, but I want to merge that together with where we've already been in our story with um, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And these fit together quite well. If you follow the Gospel of John, chapter 11 is uh, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, and, um, and then into chapter 12 is the triumphal entry, and so much more. I mean, John's Gospel is beautiful. All the Gospels are, but the, the following that theme throughout Easter is pretty tremendous. Um, but as we, as we look at it, what we know of this uh, triumphal entry, um, what, do you, what do you know, right? There's palm branches that are being waved, these signs of victory. And this is what we have here in our artistic expression of Easter, which, Karen, I have to um, embarrass you since you weren't here last week. Would you please stand up just so we can honor you? I know you just hate this, but we, we're going to do it anyways. Uh, Karen was our artist who, who painted the coins, the coins representing not only Judas' betrayal, but the betrayal literally of all of our hearts that in our sin we betray God with our actions and activities. And so God in his, in his righteousness um, sends Jesus to die on the cross for our sins and then Jesus raises from the dead having um, victory over death, reconciling us with the Father. It's the gospel here. It's the Easter story. And the, the Palm Sunday aspect of it, the waving of the palm branches, is victorious. And you know these things. Jesus is come right, comes riding in, not on a white horse. That'll happen. But not this time. He comes in riding in on the foal of a donkey, which was pr the most humble creature that a king could ride in on. 
And the imagery that I want you to have of Jesus this morning as we look at the way he interacts with Martha and Mary and Lazarus is that he's a king. He's a king. We know prophetically from Isaiah that he is called the what? Isaiah 9-6, the prince of peace, right? The prince of peace. We know from Zechariah's prophecy that he, he says, your king comes riding in humbly on, on a donkey, the foal of a donkey. And so we know that, that all authority has been given to Jesus in his resurrection, amen? That every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. And so this prince of peace is also the king of glory. He's the king of our hearts. So he rules and reigns over all of it. And, um, and so... In that, um, we, we see that this peace that he offers us is supernatural. And the reason that I'm, I'm talking about this peace is because where he's coming into on this donkey, he's coming into a city called what? Jerusalem, right? Jerusalem, in, the, in, the, 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 in that word is the word Salem or Shalom. And Shalom means peace. And the Shalom or the peace of God is not like the eagle's peaceful, easy feeling. You know, it's not just like... Everything's good, bro. Like it's not, it's far beyond that. When you think of, the, of God's peace, of the shalom that he comes to give to us, it is 100% supernatural. It's the completeness of things. It's the unbroken relationship that we have with God because of Jesus. It's, it's all things being as they should be. These are the concepts of shalom. This is why Jewish people will greet one another with the word shalom. It's not just like peace, bro. It's beyond that. It's, it is a holistic word. Are you following with me? And so this, this king of peace says something so amazing. And we quote it to one another, especially in difficult times. We've probably memorized this passage. But if you look at, at John 14, verse 27... Jesus says, peace, I leave you. And then he says something really amazing. My peace. Everybody say, my peace. My peace peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give you. So let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Jesus gives you his peace. What was Jesus' peace? Jesus' peace was unbroken relationship with the Father. He only did what he saw the Father doing. He's giving you what he has. The ability to weather any storm, the ability to endure life. Jesus went through emotions, and we're going to see these emotions in John chapter 11. Um, for those of you that grew up in Sunday school, the most famous memorized passage, John eleven thirty five, 35, is what? Good, good church kids right here. Jesus wept, right? There's two, two words in that sentence, so you could get that one under your belt. So, so Jesus wept. So we know that Jesus expresses emotion. So it's not as though he's a robot. He is a human. He's 100% human, 100% God. And yet he has this peace that allows him to endure even the garden. The garden that we'll talk about on Good Friday where he, he sweats drops of blood, just overwhelmed with emotion as he processes as a human. And so Jesus offers to his disciples, that means to you and I, this peace that's supernatural. His peace is your peace. Is that amazing? His peace is your peace. And you might ask yourself, how come I don't feel that all the time? Because you're being stolen from hour by hour, moment by moment, second by second. I mean, I was so pumped after reading this, these, these scriptures and, and preparing. I was so pumped. And, and literally, I walk out of my little office in the backyard and I walk in and I'm just flooded with these anxious thoughts flooded with anxious thoughts, stupid anxious thoughts, and I don't even catch it, you know? Um, we, we're doing some house, work, house, uh, work to our house. I can speak. 
We're doing work to our home. And so our house is in, in kind of a wreck right now. And so instantly I'm thinking, should I have done that? Is that measurement off? Should I have run that wire the way that I did? You know, all stupid stuff. Like that really matters in the grand scheme of things. But it's beginning to plague my thoughts. Then I think about these other things. It wasn't until I make my way in to start to get ready. I'm like, oh man, all that peace, like my peace, God's peace, it just went out the door. I want that back. And that's mine. Have you ever had anything stolen from you before? Man, something righteous rises up in you. I remember the first time something got stolen from me, I was like 13. We went surfing. I put my backpack on the beach, and someone stole it when I was out in the water. And I came out, and I remember thinking, I'm going to find that guy. Because it had to be a guy, right? And I'm going to find him, and I'm going to beat him up, and I'm going to take it. You know? And, and that didn't happen. Didn't find him, didn't beat him up, didn't get my backpack back. But I remember that that feeling inside, someone took what's mine and I'm getting it back. And I think sometimes that's the posture. I'm not saying we should beat one another up, but I'm saying I think sometimes that, that posture of this is mine, this peace belongs to me because of Jesus. And so I, I'm getting that back. Amen? Because how does the devil steal? We know this stuff. This is Church 101. How does the devil steal? He's a liar. He lies to you. He doesn't, he doesn't, he's crafty in his lying. If he brings an anxious thought, he brings a real thought in. He just brings all the terrible implications of that thought and we begin to listen to those lies. Versus taking that thought captive and going, oh yeah, that probably could happen. But I'm gonna give that, surrender that over to the Prince of Peace. The King of Peace will rule the, my heart and rule my mind. And so when you think of, of um, of triumphal entry, when you think of Palm Sunday, you think of the king coming in humbly, riding into the city of peace to restore peace. Now, now here's the deal, and, and here's where it's important, I think, for us to get our head wrapped around what's happening historically. The people who are saying, save now, Hosanna, are like, sweet, no more taxes. Sweet, we get our land back. Things are going to be good. This was natural peace, and this is good stuff, right? That, that they would want that. But Jesus isn't coming to restore those things. That's why they're so excited. Wouldn't you be excited, right, if everything was made right in America? Like, whoa, we got the guy, we got the gal, whoever. We, woo, we, would, be, we would be waving palm branches in the streets. The, the, the people of Israel were in the same boat, they're looking and feeling the injustice of taxes. They're, they're looking and feeling the injustice of their land being stolen away from them. They're looking towards the promises of this Messiah who's going to come and make all things new and make all things right. And now they see him and they're like, yes. But what they were blurred by in their vision was they saw the good that could come through no more taxes. They saw the good that could come through um, more land ownership or the restoration of things, that they were blinded or blurred to the best. I'm going to put that quote up from Oswald Chambers because he says it so much better than, than I could. It says, The enemy of the life of faith in God is not sin, but it is the good which is not good enough. The good is always enemy of the best. Can you leave that up for just a second? Would you let that soak in? You might want to read it over a moment. I'll, I'll, I'll say it again. The great enemy of the life of faith in God is not sin, but the good which is not good enough. The good is always enemy of the best. Sometimes we look at Jesus through the lenses of good. 
Sometimes we look at, at our lives through the lenses of good and we miss out or we're blurred to the fact that he has the best for us. It would have been very difficult, no doubt, for them to see beyond their present circumstances as it is for you and I. But we have the, the luxury of looking back over it and saying, no, he wanted to do so much more. Does this make any sense? And I, I wonder just right out of the gate as we try to apply this, is it possible that, that there are some good things that are obscuring our vision? Are there some good possibilities on the horizon, some good hopes that we, we wish for, that are, that are there, that are obscuring our vision from the best thing? I don't have an example for you, but I want to leave that with you as just a thought to maybe let linger in your mind to, to ask the Holy Spirit to show you if there is some of those things. Because there's a tendency to grow a deep frustration over good things that are not realized. Because the good is never good enough. But as we allow King Jesus to be the ruler of our heart, to be the ruler over our expectations, to be the ruler of the one who gives us peace, we realize, oh, this is the best. This is the best. That regardless of what comes my way, he's the king of my heart and he gives me peace that's not just, ah, I feel good, but it's that there's completeness to my life. There's a complete and unbroken relationship with God. And I just wrote down here the reality of that the reality of shalom is present on this earth when Jesus is the king of our hearts. When he is permitted to rule over our emotions, our sense of justice, our behaviors, and our heart attitudes with his kingdom reality. That means his peace is present over us. I also wrote down that this peace and him ruling over it, I believe, and not in an oversimplistic way and not to, to oversimplify the things that we all face, but I do believe that his peace is the cure for our troubled hearts. I believe his peace is the answer for all of our anxieties. And I think that it's his peace. I was thinking about this inspiration of, was it over 150 years ago, um, the author of It Is Well With My Soul, right? His name's Horatio, Horatio Spafford. And he writes this song that we still sing today. And when we sing it today, it's almost as if it was written yesterday, right? It is well. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, what? It is well. It is well with my soul. That's Shalom. And the, the writers of these hymns that we love and that we sing were not going through great times. They were going through much tragedy, much loss, much difficulty, but they could say it's complete. My relationship with God is unbroken. It is well with my soul. I think it's a big part of the message of Palm Sunday. And so I want to jump back into Mary, Martha, and, and Lazarus because I think it's important for us to see in real time what this looks like. I could say to you over and over again, and you could say to one another, and you could say back to me, cast all your cares upon Jesus. He cares for you. I could say, count it all joy when you go through trials. I could say to you, you got the peace that passes understanding. Let it guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. These are all true things from Scripture. Would you agree? But how do we do it? How do we get that? What, what, how do we posture our heart in such a way that, that we allow that to happen in our lives? And I think this story that leads up to Palm Sunday gives us some indicators. It's a really cool story that we could miss if we didn't really take time to look at all the details culturally that are happening around Jesus' special relationship with three people. Lazarus, Martha, and Mary. 
they are very unique. And they're unique culturally speaking. Um, One of the reasons they're unique is that all three of them are single. Now, as you think about that for a moment, not only are they single, so they're unmarried, the, the one who speaks the most and takes the most, the prominent leadership position in the home is a female, Martha. Okay, this is culturally speaking in that moment would have been a really odd scenario. She's a, a, a landowner. She has a, a home that's large enough to entertain a lot of people and the means to do it. In fact, historians would say that this is part, she and her her siblings were in part the ones who helped fund things that Jesus was doing along the way. He was was welcomed in that household. She had the means to provide a great meal. She was sassy. (laughs) She went after Jesus, right? She didn't wait for him to come into the home. She went after him. She was uh, passively accusing the Messiah of messing up. So, so all of these things don't amount to the, the, the good sort of picture of the, the New Testament woman. Then you have Mary, who's all over the place with her emotions. And I don't mean that in a sarcastic way, but I mean that in a real way, that we're going to read about her in just a moment, that, that she's, she's bent towards uh, being a, a, a feeler in many ways, and she breaks cultural norms as well. She doesn't do what she's supposed to do in waiting on the guest's hand and foot. We can read that from Luke's account. Um, but, but she wants to be with the guest, who is Jesus. And so she sits at his feet, and she's often praised for that in our circles, that we look like, wow, she is amazing, that she, you know, let the other people do all the busy work. But I want to be like Mary. I just want to sit at Jesus' feet. I want to tell you that as we look at this deeper, that Martha is a hero of the faith. Mary is a hero of the faith. That both of these women are real people with real, real emotions and real experiences that Jesus speaks into, and, um, and he meets them. And then finally, you have Lazarus, right? So Lazarus, we really don't know a whole lot about him. We know historically some things after the fact that, um, that his, history says that he became a church leader following the, the resurrection, that it's quite possible he was a bishop in, in Cyprus um, and that, you know, that he had gone on to, to do great things for God. But we don't know a whole lot about him other than he died and he was resurrected. That's pretty cool. But what we do know, again, about all three is that there's no mention of spouses. There's no mention. And, and Jesus, I just find it interesting that Jesus wanted to hang out with them. Don't you get the picture that these were different kinds of friends? It says it that Jesus loved them. He was close with these three. And so I want to speak to you if you're single. I may mean this. Singleness is is not a curse from God. Singleness is a gift, just as marriage is a gift. And the Bible speaks to both things. We tend to look at at marriage as the, like, once you've done that, then you've arrived. Then you could be a real Christian, you know. And then if you have kids, you could be really respected in the faith. This is not the story of the scripture. Do you know who understands what it's like to be a 30-something-year-old single person? Jesus! The, the, the right answer in any church setting, by the way. We did that last week, too. Jesus understands, and so much so that he's like, hey, where, where are my people? Oh, here are my people. Let's go have dinner parties together. Let's hang out. You know, let's, let's do the gospel together. And that is the great gift of singleness. When God brings somebody, if God brings somebody, if that's your desire and his desire for your life, it is also a gift in marriage. 
But one doesn't supersede the other, and it's important to hear that. It's important to hear that in Scripture. The other thing that's important to hear in Scripture is that Jesus tended to, to, um, to associate himself with um, sort of the, the fringe-type people. How do I want to say this? That the, those who were willing to break cultural norms. Jesus was like, I like you, Right? I want to be around you because, because there's something in that rebellious heart attitude that is not rebellion against God, but it's rebellion against these norms that he's like, these are the kind of people that can change the world. Does that make sense to you? Am I still okay to keep going? Okay. So, so I, I think that there is something special about that. So if you find yourself going, I don't fit that mold, bless you. Jesus understands you and he's attracted to you. He's drawn to you. And what he desires to do is to take that and, and, and turn it towards his will for your life. It's the same scenario for, for a rule follower as it is a rule breaker. That God wants to take all the passion that he's put in your heart and put it towards submitting to him and doing his will. I just think sometimes he can use rule breakers a little easier. Because they're edgy. They're willing to break the rules as these women were. And so if our cultural norms have gotten us stuck in this rut of thinking that, you know, the gospel and being a good Christian looks like the nuclear family of the 1950s, not to say that that is a wrong scenario. I am pro-family. Don't throw rocks at me. But if we're stuck in that moment, then we could miss scripture. We could miss culture. We could miss the empowerment of what God wants to do in, in young women, middle-aged women and women of all ages, to be used by God according to the gifts that he has for them. And so I know it's a little side note, but I couldn't help but visit that side note for a moment because I think these issues of singleness, the way that we see um, the role of women in the church, these are all very, very um, timely topics that you can go on the Internet and be all over the place with views and ideas on these things. And what's very important is to come back to, the, to the, the grounding of Scripture and go, God, what do you say about these things? And so this story gives a slight insight into it. And so I don't want to give all my time. I would love to give more time to it, but I don't want to give all my time today to those subjects. But dive into it because I think you'll come up with more of an adventure than you could even dream of. Amen? Amen. So, um, so as we get into this first part, what, what I see about Martha uh, is that She is smart. Martha is smart. She is sharp in her intellect. And and the indicator of that is her dialogue with Jesus. And Jesus meets her on that level. Um, Let's just read it and then we'll we'll jump into it. She is, um, in her her intellect, um, is very, very good. But it's very possible that it's blurring her from seeing the best, right? She can see up to a certain point. And Jesus throws an aha to her that hopefully um, will be the same aha to some of us today. In chapter 11 of John and verse 20, it says, So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. It gives you insights into both of their personalities. One one was, um, and, and by the way, just for context in the story, they were grieving the loss of their brother. Their, if you weren't here last week where we covered it, their brother had died. In their, in their summation, he didn't have to die. Jesus could have showed up a few days earlier, but because he didn't show up a few days earlier to heal him, their brother was now dead. 
Um, and we said of that last week, there's this agony and delay. And he wants to come into that agony in those moments and do something significant. His delay is not his denial, right? It's an act of love that we can't understand because God wants to do something far greater. And so this is the story that we see here. Now their brother is now dead. Um, the, the people are in the house, their compound area. There's like uh, mourners that are with them and they're sort of comforting Mary. Uh, Martha's just like, what? Jesus is around the corner? Let's go. She's out the door and she's off to meet him and she begins a dialogue with him. In verse um, 20, 21, it says, Martha said to, to Jesus, Lord, if you, and, and it's interesting that she addresses him as Lord, right? They're friends. But she's aware of who he is. In fact, she is really aware, and you're going to see that in just a moment. But that term Lord is not lightly used. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But listen to her hope. And I believe that her hope comes because of her intellect, and I'll explain in just a moment. But even now, I know. Everybody say, I know. I know. I know know that whatever you ask from God, he will give you. Hope is not lost for her. And then Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know. Everybody say, I know. know. People with good intellect, no. I know that he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. You have to take a step back and say, how did she know? First century, uh, most women wouldn't be educated to this level. She was theologically sound. She was referencing Daniel in, in, in their messianic hope. If you looked at Daniel, I want to get really into this, but I want you to see it at least. In Daniel chapter 12, in verse 1, it says, At that time shall arise Michael, the great um, prince who has charge over your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as um, has never been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time, your people shall be delivered, and everyone whose name, um, sh- whose name shall be found shall be written in the book. I think I put the wrong verse. There. Okay, there we go. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. This was the resurrection. She was correct. Are you tracking with me? So she knew. That's why she said, I know, because she knew. She was sharp. I know that he's going to do that. I know that, every, you know that he was faithful. And in the resurrection, he'll, he'll rise again. And then Jesus says something that I think is the aha. That he bypasses her vision of what's good and throws down revelation for her to show her the best. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? This statement that Jesus made would have really been an, an like a woe to a theologically sound, intelligent woman. Because what she would have heard was the word, I am. Jesus had already set the stage in the, in the Gospel of John and really, really upset the Pharisees when he proclaimed before Abraham was, I am. They were like, whoa, when he said that. They were picking up rocks ready to stone him because that was the sin of blasphemy. Jesus was claiming to be God, God. 
The way that God introduced himself in the book of Exodus, I am. And he proceeds in the Gospel of John. This is a great study for you to just go through the Gospel of John. Seven times Jesus makes I am statements. Things like I am the bread of life, I am the door, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Every I am has this sense of awe with it that I am. I'm not just this guy. I'm not just another Messiah who came on the scene. I'm God. That's what he's saying. I am the resurrection and the life. It was a whoa. And I, and I want to say this to those of you who, who know this about yourselves and not in an arrogant way. You, I don't find this arrogant, but if you know that you're one who's given more towards um, intelligence, book knowledge, that you're, you're good in school, you're able to recall things, you can, you can think in, in strategic ways and so forth. This is a gift that God has given you and you might identify with Martha. And that's a good gift. And God wants to use it and is using it. And where the best breaks in is when you're able to allow Jesus to be the king of your intellect, he will come breaking through with revelation. Revelation is the aha that comes supernaturally that is beyond intellect. Does that make sense? And sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes people, and we'll look at Mary in just a moment, sometimes people who have more of a bent towards feelings can, can see revelation a little bit quicker because they're postured for it. They're, they want to just, like, whoa, you know, they can see revelation in the bloom of a flower. Like, whoa, you know, a, a waterfall, a sunrise, you know, the tears begin to flow of new mercy that comes to that day. It's just like this artistic bent that is there for you, and that's God-given as well. And, there, and, and that, too, is submitted to the king. But, but we're talking about intellect right now, that as, as your intellect is submitted, don't turn your brain off. The church needs good thinkers. The church needs people who will uphold the standards of righteousness, who can, who can think clear arguments. Sometimes those that are given more times towards emotions are, you know, just you have a conversation, it's like all over the place, but we need methodical, good thinkers. It's your gift. Lean into it, but submit it to the Lordship of Jesus because unsubmitted, that gift becomes a, a tendency towards arrogance or that gift can become a tendency towards in, inflexibility. Right? Blessed are the flexible, so they won't for they won't break, right? This is a, and so there's a for those that are are are, are tending towards that that bent towards um, intellectualism, that, that can sometimes become a, a, a difficulty for your life and and, and submitted to Jesus, it becomes a, t- a tremendous gift. I think I, I made my point, I don't want to beat it like a dead horse. She knew theologically that there was hope, right? She knew theologically that there was hope. But through relationship with Jesus, she gained revelation when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so um, the submission to the king in this area is all about unbroken relationship. But then something super cool happens when she says this. Yes, she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ. That means the anointed one the Son of God, which means the part of the Trinity, and that you are coming into the world. She, Martha, should be upheld in Scripture, just like Peter, who was able to say who the Messiah was. Only she didn't get a get-behind-me-Satan shortly after it. (laughs) Tremendous. 
tremendous person. Now we, we move on to Mary. And, and, and then this part that Jesus would be, you know, for, for Martha, we look at Jesus, the king of our intellect. For Mary, we look at Jesus, the king of our emotions. Mary, um, I've already talked to you a little bit about how she breaks cultural norms and, and how her emotions are not a, 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 thing that are, that, a thing that is spoken negatively of in Scripture, but it's, also, it's actually promoted by Jesus. I love that Jesus defends her. It's that moment where Jesus is like, no, she's with me, right? It's enough said that she is criticized for her breaking of the rules by her sister. Jesus defends her. Um, skipping ahead to the story, after Jesus has this encounter with her, it's close to the Passover. Um, you, you know the story well that, that Jesus is with many others in a banquet-type setting, and what does she do? She, she takes a, a bunch of really expensive ointment, pure nard, right? And she, she pours that out on the feet of Jesus. And she probably takes her hair down in order to wipe his feet. This is super edgy, right? This is like tattoos and piercings edgy. Like, it's, it's crazy. Isn't it funny how, like, 20 years ago, it was like, oh, dear, they have a tattoo. It's like, now it's like, oh, nice tattoo, right? It's like, like what's the deal? Anyways, maybe not, but for some. But anyways, this is, this is edgy. She takes her hair down. She pours out this perfume, which, again, is further evidence that this ointment that they had, like, poor people don't have it. These are people of means, and they take their... This, so much so that who criticizes it? Judas. Judas criticizes it. What's she doing? Shouldn't we take that money and give it to the poor? And Jesus is like, no, 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 not you. You're not doing this. What she's done is a beautiful thing. She's preparing my body. She's anointing me uh, for my burial. And, um, and I, I think I'm missing, I'm, I'm blowing my last point, but I'm just going to say it because I'm here. So Beautiful. So beautiful what's happening there because prior in the Lazarus story, do you remember when Jesus was um, there at the tomb and he says, okay, remove the stone? And they say, no, don't do that. You know, are you sure, teacher? Because why? He stinks. The association with death in that moment was death, the sting of death, the curse of death, pew. You know, um, scientifically proven that this thing really, really impacts this thing, right? That the moment you smell, um, what, like fresh-baked cookies, ah, you know, you're brought to a, a comforting memory, you know? You smell, we all, I've, I've talked about this before, if you like to go camping, you get the camping gear out, you know? And if they could, like, if they could put, like, that tent or trailer smell, like, good tent or trailer smell in a bottle, you'd be like, ah, oh, it's like instant relaxation in camping, Right? And so it has a, a tremendous pull on the way that we think and feel. And so this smell, ugh, the smell of death, the stench of death, if you've ever had to, to experience that, you know that you'll never forget that smell. It brings you to a moment. And now you come back to Jesus preparing for his death. What is the smell? What is the scent that is remembered? The most expensive, most pure, beautiful smell. And not only did the room fill with it, but Jesus was full of it. And this is what I just thought about today. Her hair was full of it. 
man, that hair, it, and I'm not trying to be gross, but you know, like sometimes like if you go and eat at certain restaurants or, you know, and you're close to the kitchen, what your, your body, your clothes, and your hair smells like fried tomato or fried uh, potatoes or bacon or whatever. Or, or if you've been around a campfire, you know, you, I remember back in the day I had long hair and I'd be like, no, I'm just kidding. But like, you, could, you, you, could, you could smell that. It stays in there for a long time. You could try to wash the campfire out of your hair for a bunch of days. It's not going anywhere. You know, it's going to linger. How much more this ointment that's attached to her hair that everywhere she goes, she's the fragrance of resurrection. Wow. And, and it's because she was willing to break certain rules and certain norms, and Jesus was drawn to that because of her deep love for, for her and her love for him. And so when we talk about this person, if this is your bent, then you'll relate with her. It says, when, when she had said this, this is Martha speaking, she had proclaimed that this was the Messiah, uh, she called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here calling you. I have to pause here because I've always wondered about this, and every time I teach it, I come back to it. I never hear Jesus saying, hey, go get Mary. I never hear that. But yet, she goes in private so no one else can hear and go, hey, um, he wants to talk to you now. Have you ever been set up by someone? It's a, I, I think, and for, it doesn't make any difference to the story, but I think it's like a setup. I think she cares about her sister. She's like, okay, I, I got this whoa, aha, revelation. You need to get some of that. And, he, and, and, and I think she might know Mary's going to just be parking here with all the crying people. She is just crying. And, and she's got to get her sister out of that and get her to Jesus. And so she's like, hey, he wants to talk to me? He wants to talk to me? Yes, he, he wants to talk to you. Don't tell anyone, you know? Don't tell anyone. Just go meet him. And she goes out and she sees him. And she has a, a very similar um, dialogue with him, but with different terms. And this is what it says, um, the teacher is here and he's calling for you in verse 29. And when she heard it, she wrote, by the way, that's just my opinion. This, it, 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 that whole thing I just said, I don't know that that's, anyone else would ever say that. It could be wrong. just want to get that out there. Um, but it says in verse 29, and when she heard this, she rose quickly and she went to him. And verse 30 says, Now Jesus had not come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise up quickly and go, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. And verse 32 says, Now when Mary came to where Jesus saw him, she fell at his feet, saying, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And verse 33 says, when, she saw, when, he, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved and his spirit was greatly troubled. Think about that greatly troubled as I read on. And then it says in verse 34, he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. In verse 35, Jesus wept. Verse 36, and the Jews said to him, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could he who not opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Completely different dialogue that's happening here. Very similar beginning, similar questions, but different way Jesus approaches it. Um, I'm not sure why Jesus wept. And that's a question that I have um, theologically as I read it, because there's two different words that are used for weeping. Mary's weeping was a, um, a, a weeping of grief. 
It was loud. It was clear. It was understandable. Jesus weeping, the Greek word that's used for his weeping is a weeping of like deep frustration. In fact, the literal term is snarl like a horse. It's like, it's like that. <laughs> and, and you know how you do that when you're crying and you didn't see it coming? You know, it's like, <sighs> and so Jesus weeping wasn't loud. It wasn't demonstrative. It was deeply, it was a deep feeling. And I, I don't, I'm not 100% sure why different people have different thoughts on it, but I'm, some possibilities I'd love to explore. The first is the, the fact that Jesus wept because his friend was experiencing the emotions of death and the lack of peace. There's this part of me that wonders, is Jesus crying and is he deeply troubled because all these people around don't get what's happening and they have to experience this? And he's come to, to set people free from death. He's come to conquer death. And so there's this righteous frustration leading to tears, these all bundles of emotions. I, I don't know, but it's worth thinking about. Is he crying because he's upset that, that the fact that his friends and the Jewish mourners don't have enough faith to see what's happening in that moment? I, I think the scripture kind of indicates that Jesus isn't too thrilled with the mourners, um, that, that there's something fake about them possibly, um, that he prays a certain way and prays out loud, not for God, but for them to hear it. He says it. I love that. You know, you can read it in the story. And, and, and that's, again, speculation. The third thing is maybe Jesus is just, and, and this is quite possible, pure empathy. Pure empathy. That he is a great high priest who can sympathize with us, who's been tested in every way, who's, who's without sin, who's experienced all the horrendous, horrible things of death, the, the loss, the grief, and he's seeing it happen on this big level, and he's anticipating it happening on a greater level with his own loss of life coming, and he's aware of what he's going to do and going the distance to the cross. I don't know, but we know that this simple two-sentence scripture, Jesus wept. Not 100% sure why, but he wept. And maybe it's enough to just say that he wept because she wept. And that we look throughout the, the New Testament and there's a point where it calls us to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. Sometimes we want to teach those who weep and not weep with those who weep. Sometimes it's not time. Sometimes all that that person needs is an arm around them and tears too. Real tears. And these were real tears that Jesus shed. He didn't have to do the actor thing and you know, fabricate those tears. He wept. He wept and he processed through a bundle of emotions. And so when we take the, the takeaway from, from Mary's personality, and, and again, as I said last week, we're all emotional. We're all intellectual. Okay, There are some who are given more towards that than the other, but just because you find yourself being emotional at times doesn't mean you're not intellectual. You follow me? That we all go through this. And, and so when it comes to our intellect, it's submitted to the king. When it comes to our emotions, it's submitted to the king. And in return, when we wave our palm branch and say, glory and, and hosanna, save now, we're saying, bring that peace to me. Bring that peace, that wholeness, that completeness that belongs to my emotional life, that belongs in my intellectual life. And then ultimately and finally, and I won't have a lot of time to go into it, but bring that shalom and peace into my physical life. Your body matters. He cares about your body. And our society cares about health and safety. We have a whole industry about it, right? That health and safety matters. But we can be so extreme upon health and safety 
that we miss on making him the Lord of our bodies, that he is the king of our bodies. One of the, the great tragedies in this moment, culturally and historically, is that our physical bodies are a mess, not only with sickness and disease, but even sexuality, that there's a, a confusion about our, our physical bodies. And in that conversation, it's a far greater one, but making him the Lord of our body because our body matters is biblical. And when he is the Lord of our body, we experience unbrokenness. We experience shalom, completeness, and peace, right? And so for some of us, him, the lack of lordship over our body has nothing to do with sexuality, sexual preference, whatever else. Maybe it has a lot to do with fear and anxiety that maybe we can't go to a certain place or do a certain thing for God because something bad could happen to us. And so we entertain those thoughts so much that we have anxiety over getting in the car because an accident might happen or getting on a plane because it might crash or, or, or being in an environment because someone might sneeze on you. You know, these are things that are a reality, and I don't say that to make light of it. I think we should walk in wisdom. I don't think we should do care. I think people of faith should be careful, right? God gives us our brain and, and to make wise decisions, but we should not be ruled by anxieties. If he is the Lord of our bodies, he's the author of our life, Genesis 1:27, right, that he created us, and then Psalm 139, that all the days ordained for you were written in a book before one of them came to be. And he's thinking about you all the time. And that kind of peace, if that could come over our bodies, how would that change the way that we live? If we could wave the palm branch and say, Hosanna, save now. Be the Messiah. Be the Savior of my body. Be the Savior of my emotions. Be the Savior of my intellect. Be the King of all of it. Does this make sense? Man, I, I was so excited to, to enter into that personally and to have an understanding of it, have some language for it, because there are all kinds of invasions upon all of those areas of our life. The fear of, of sickness and disease, the fear of, of, you know, maybe not fear, but the anxieties that can come and missing revelation through lack of lordship over our intellect and then our emotions getting the best of us. All of those things are gifts from God that, I, that I've told you, but all of them submitted to God mean that we can walk in freedom, and that's what I desire in my life. You know, I, I had a situation just very recently, and there are some of those things that, that can happen just so quickly. You can, and I, I share with you just about how peace was robbed from me, but, but you know, like you, you can just have something that reminds you of a hurt from the past. Anyone have a hurt from the past? Anyone? Anyone? Okay. All right, cool. Anyone have like a big one, significant ones? Yeah, okay, cool. So I'm talking to humans. So anyways, there, there was something that occurred that it was like, oh, it just felt like, you know, and you felt, I felt like there would have been healing in that area in my life, but there was just a situation that, and I, I don't want to use this word because I think it's so volatile, but like it triggered something. So it triggered something for me. I just went, oh, and, and I went down quick. Like I started going down quick. I started thinking of all the worst, just, just like the, like just spiraling. Boom. And all those feelings of the initial hurt of that thing just came back like it was just right then. I'm like, what is happening? And, you know, usually a, a go-to in a moment like that would be like carne asada burrito, um, you know, and brownies to follow. You know what I mean? Eat the emotions. And, but, but there, and as well, just like the shutdown. Okay, I, I, can't, I can't be effective anymore. Just a shutdown. 
But what I chose to do in that moment was I, I, I go, okay, no, I, I know what to do. I've got, I've got some tools here. I'm feeling, I grabbed my journal, and I just began to write. I just began to write how I felt. I have to do that. I don't, I don't have, like, the kind of journal that's like, thus thine, you know, beautiful day today. And, like, like I think someone's going to read it one day. Like, it's like, bruh, I'm just writing, penmanship all big because I can't see anymore. You know, it's just like I'm all over that thing. And I just come to a point of going, God, I'm going to lean into this. I'm going to lean into this because you're going to meet me here. And he did. He did. And I was thinking about that coming into church today. He met me. And I want to share that as a testimony to you. And I know that you know this stuff. But in that area of him being king over my emotions... He met me. He showed up. And he'll show up for you. He'll show up for you in your fears over your body. He'll show up in you and your fears over or anything you go through with your intellect. And he'll show up with you over your emotions. Amen? Amen. I'd like to invite our worship team to come back. I want to have a chance to respond to the Lord. And, and if, if any of this has struck you in a way that you, you'd like prayer, um, we have our staff members who would love to pray for you. But as we just wrap this time up, thank you for being patient. I know I tend to go over a little bit, but um, don't miss this moment because we're ready to go to the next moment. I, I remember one of the missionaries we support had written an article one time, and he said, man, if pastors took as much time to think about what happens after the sermon as you do planning the sermon, we'd have much more application of Scripture. And I think for many years I've been guilty of, of not doing that. And, and it's, it's in my heart to make sure that there's an environment here for you to process through what God is speaking to you. And it's up to you. There's no pressure or guilt. You slip out right as they begin to play. No one will even see. But if you want, just you can come to the altar and pray with someone. You can sit and listen to the song. You can sing the song. But let's invite the Holy Spirit to, um, to help us. with Whatever bread was broken for you now to give you the ability through the power of the Spirit to digest it and to apply it to your life. Why don't we, we stand together? Thank you, God. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your, your kingship. You are the king of glory. You're the king of peace. You've come to restore everything that was wrong and make it right. And we won't experience that in fullness this side of eternity. But Lord, it's here for us as we make you the king of our hearts over every aspect of our life our emotions, our intellect, and our physical bodies. We invite you, Jesus Christ, to be the Lord of it all. And we thank you that you respond in a way that's unique to each one of us, that you meet us in that moment. Maybe we're not all the way there, and, and we need to dialogue with you a little bit like Martha did on an intellectual level. Maybe like Mary, we just need to weep with you. And like Lazarus, maybe we just need full resurrection. We invite it all. Jesus, come. Come minister to your people. You 
are steadfast, never failing, you are faithful. All creation is in awe of who you are. You're the healer of the sick and the broken. You are comfort for every heart that mourns. Our King and our Savior forever. For eternity we will sing of all you've done. For eternity we will sing of all you've done. We sing God with us, God for us. Nothing can come against, no one can stand between.
thank you that you are victorious over all, even over the grave, and nothing is too difficult for you, and nothing is impossible for you. God, we honor you. Just want to give a last moment, maybe some of our staff can come. If there are those that needed prayer, and maybe you're, you're thinking, I just need a little bit of help to surrender some of these things over to God. I, I want to make a, a step towards greater lordship of him over my emotions. I want to make a step towards greater lordship over my intellect. Or maybe there's some things happening in your physical body. They're real things that you, you want to come to him and say, God, be Lord of my body, be the king of my body, that maybe there's some issues where medical things that are going on or someone need to stand with you for healing. We believe that God can do that. We're seeing evidence of that, God touching lives here. And so I don't want to miss the opportunity for, for you to have prayer. So if you'd like to come, please pray, come, and there'll be someone to pray for you. Father, I, I bless your people, God. I bless them. Thank you, Jesus, that your word to us is a lamp and a light. And anything of my words that is not that, Lord, if it's not a lamp or a light, if it's not used by you, just let it fall. It's just man's words. But Lord, what, what's of you, let it remain. Let it dwell richly in our hearts. Let it be like a seed that plants deep into our hearts, Lord, your word. Let it grow in us throughout the week. Bring it to our remembrance, Lord. Remind us of your goodness. Remind us of your faithfulness. Remind us of your victory. Remind us of your shalom. Your, your ability, God, to bring to us your peace beyond feeling. Your peace that makes things whole and complete in our lives. Help us to not be those who seek after the good and then more good and more good and never enough to seek after you the best, Lord, the best. Trusting you that even in the delays, you're the best. Even in the confusing times, you're the best. We can trust you, God. We honor you. We thank you. Let your grace abound over each and every life, Lord. Let your healing come to emotions, to anxieties, and to physical needs because you're good and you long to do it. Thank you, God. Thank you. We honor you. We worship you. We love you. It's in your precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. If you need prayer, please come.
So. 